0: not going to do anything that will change eternity. We could have the greatest uh, message in the world, and we could have the perfect motivation for sharing it, but we need a method to get the job done. That's where some of you struggle. You're really excited about the message, highly motivated to tell it, but you need a link. You need some way to get you from your excitement into someone else's brain with the truth, and we're going to talk about that also, but listen... The key element in being a soul winner is desire. It starts with desire. How many people do I know who know the Lord perfectly well? Their theology box is framed, and it's square and plumb, but they do nothing to change eternity. And it begins with desire. I started my witnessing before, I think, I actually knew the Lord myself. But I was motivated. I didn't want anyone to go to hell. I was in first grade, there was a boy on the seesaw, um, and I was on the other end. And I said to Scotty, have you ever been saved? He yelled back, no. And I said, I, I couldn't understand, it. Well, why in the world wouldn't you be saved? So I said, why not? He yelled back, I'll never forget it, I'll say it to you exactly as he said it back to me, because I ain't never been drowning. I knew he didn't understand what I meant. I knew he didn't understand where I was trying to take him. I also knew I didn't have what it was going to take to cause him to understand. But I've, I became a student of these things. When I was 19 years old, I knew I had the greatest message in the whole world. I knew that I had the stuff inside that I could spell that message out to people. I was so motivated. And I began to look and study and observe and see what, what works to take my message to other people. So we'll talk about all these things this morning. First of all, now you hide that yellow sheet you have. No cheating, okay? We're going to shoot Nerf darts at you if I find you cheating. Let's talk about the motivation. We'll go motivation, message, and then method the last two sessions this morning. So let's talk about the motivation. Why in the world should I be excited? Because, Freddie, that's, that's to be a risk taker. You go and you try and witness to people, you're taking a risk because you could get rejected. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what's our motivation? Why in the world would we want to do that? Isn't it more comfortable to not witness? Well, sure, if your idea of comfort means that everyone you know gets to go to hell because you'd like to be comfortable. Now listen. I don't want to be heavy and dark. Usually when people talk about witnessing, it's heavy, dark, full of a lot of guilt. I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. I'm here to help. So let's admit from the get-go, we've all failed. Sure, we've all missed opportunity. It was golden opportunity. It was right in front of us. It was like knocking a big juicy apple off the low limb with a stick. but we missed it. We just missed. So let's get that out of the way. All right, we're all guilty. All right, now let's move on. What can we do from now on that facilitates sharing the best news in the world with people who need to hear it or they'll miss God forever? So let's talk about this. I'm going to give you five reasons that we ought to be highly motivated to share the gospel with people. Number one, the grace of God. Would you take your Bible there and meet me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And the first motivation is the grace of God, period. The very grace of God is the greatest motivation in my life to want to share the gospel. If I knew nothing else but the grace of God that I've been given, I'd want to share the gospel. In fact, in the beginning, that's all I did know. It's all I had. Not everyone believes the grace of God is a motivator. I talked to a pastor, he told me this, Freddie, I met every Monday morning for breakfast with a pastor across town for over a year. He said, after we had done this for a year, our discussions had all been about whether saved people are saved for keeps or they could lose it. He said, after a whole year of Mondays doing that, I got frustrated, and on one Monday morning at breakfast, I unloaded on this pastor. And I gave him verse after verse after verse after verse and at the end of the time I looked across the table and I said, Pastor, I cannot believe that you would see so many scriptures that I've given you and still not believe that once a person is saved that God's grace keeps them forever. He said, that pastor looked back at me and said, Oh, I do believe that. I just don't want my people to find it out. I believe that that we need to let the cat out of the bag, don't you? About God's grace. Salvation is free. It's based on faith alone plus nothing else. In Christ alone, who's the only one who ever died to pay for sin. He's the only one who rose from the dead, who promised everlasting life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, pick it up in verse number 4, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, that's why I witness, because that's my story. I deserved hell, but God. I was separated from my Creator, but God. I didn't deserve it, but God. I owed a death penalty, but God. It's because he's intervened with his grace. Now I'm accepted in the beloved. That's verse 7. But I'll look at this. But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Rich mercy, great love. That's what I've been given by God. That's what anyone could have who'll accept the truth of the gospel. Because I've been given rich mercy and great love by God I want to tell other people about rich mercy and great love. Don't you? That's the most powerful motivation I've ever known in my life, that I've been given God's amazing grace. Therefore, I want to tell. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, that's when it happened. Listen, there's a lot of games being played with God's grace. Many people even use the word, but they redefine the word to mean anything besides grace. It happened when I was dead. When I was spiritually dead, that doesn't mean that lost people are as dumb as a bucket of rocks. Many people think that. But a lost person can reason. They can actually think thoughts about God. You know how I know that? You find an atheist or an agnostic and their best friend is killed in a car wreck, who do they get mad at? God. They think about God. They make value judgments about God. They, they can reason in their mind. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. They look into the stars. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Who do they declare the glory to? Lost people all over the world. They're thinking about God. And when a lost person believes in Christ, they make a value judgment in their mind, they put their faith into Christ, kaboom, goes the grace of God. And a free salvation is given. That motivates me. There's nothing like that in the whole world. There's nothing like that in all the world's religions. Grace. The shining jewel comes out of the Bible. The grace of God. That we're accepted in Him because of His grace. The word means favor. I've been favored by God. Why? What is it about me? Nothing about me. But I put my faith into Christ, and to God the Father that matters. That's the difference maker for eternity. So because I was given God's grace, I want to tell other people about Him. This is not a plastic religion. This is not a bunch of phony, baloney religious talk. This is a God who loves people. Loves them so much, He sent His only Son. He took their sin on Himself, Paid a death penalty. It hurt him. He rose from the dead to prove to everyone that he had paid the price. It was accepted by his Father. And he calls the whole world full of people who are thinking about God, or at least they have the ability to if they've not gone numb. And if their thoughts toward God bring them to faith alone, in Christ alone, the grace of God comes to them and they are saved into everlasting life. There's nothing like that story in the whole world. No one has anyone who ever died for sin. No one has anyone who rose from the dead. No one out there in all the world's religions has anybody ever saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest, except Jesus Christ. It's His grace that was the difference maker for me. There's no one in the building who's more shy than I was. But it was the grace of God that rocked me. Right out of my shyness, I just wanted... People do not go to hell. Number two, the resurrection principle. Because I've been raised from my spiritual death because of life that's now in me, I want to share the gospel, and I believe you do too. The resurrection principle. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 6. The Bible says that He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Because I've been raised up, I'm seated with Him. Look, we have every right to be in heaven today. Don't we? Nothing else needs to happen that we get to be with God in heaven forever. We satisfy the requirement. Faith alone in Christ alone. But now tell me this. If the Bible says that we already are seated in the heavenlies, that's spiritually. If the Bible says that, if I've conquered the requirement of faith alone in Christ. I'm going to heaven. God says in His mind, for all practical purposes, I'm already there. I'm seated in Christ. Why in the world are we still here? Why do we still have to have flat tires? Why do, why do we still have to be here where we're afraid to grab a doorknob because the flu bug might be on it? If I'm seated in the heavenlies now, well, uh, Lord, why don't we just do that right now? So I don't, I don't have to get sick anymore. I don't have to face Monday mornings at work anymore. Because He wanted to leave us here to show somebody what a resurrection looks like. It's just what Jesus did. You remember this? He died for sin. It was a horrid death. It shamed him. He didn't enjoy that. The Bible says He despised the shame. And as soon as he died, when you watch that movie, don't you want to just take him home to the arms of his father? He, he's suffered enough. He's been here long enough. He, he was glorified forever and then interrupted it to come here to this trash bin that we wrecked into a fallen world. And he's been here for this time now, 33 years or so, and when he... Well, he rises from the dead. Don't you just want to take him to the Father? And yet there he is walking through a wall to hang out with these scaredy-cat disciples who look like we do. Why? Show him what a resurrection looks like. Hey, boys, do you have anything to eat? You ate a piece of fish and a honeycomb in front. He's, he's displaying a resurrected life. And he had eyewitnesses of his post-resurrection body. And that's just what we're doing. We're here to provide eyewitnesses to show other people what a resurrection looks like. Number three, the power of the gospel demands it. Number one, the grace of God. Number two, the resurrection principle. Number three... The power that God puts in the gospel. You remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? The Lord told them, you go hang out and power from on high is going to come to you. The word power is a Greek word, dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. It's a word that we borrowed in the English when we needed a word, dynamite, dunamis. The Lord told them, if I could say it in a simple way, you go hang out. Take it easy. Power's going to come that's pure dynamite for you. That's the power that's in the gospel. Let it blow. <laughs> that's what. I, let the dynamite of God blow. That's huge motivation for me to know that I'm not the power. The gospel is. God doesn't need me to be superman. I don't have to be Wonder Woman. Boy, I'm glad of that, too. But the power is in the gospel. All God needs are some ordinaries. Ordinaries. Ordinary people who put gas in their car. Ordinary people who go to Walmart. Ordinaries who have a super extraordinary message. So he, he puts the power into the message itself. Romans 1, 16. There's your scripture for that Number three, motivation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So, the sheer power of the gospel demands that we tell the message. Number four, heaven and hell are both real and eternal. I'll give you a reference right now then we'll talk about it. Revelation 20, verse 14, 15. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15, and then Revelation 22, 5. Heaven is real. Hell is real. No wonder Rob Bell wrote a book. He ends up saying that God's going to turn into Father Christmas and everybody gets into heaven. No, no, it's not true at all. Someone's going to hell. The ones who are going to hell are the ones who didn't put their faith into Christ. How can they put their faith into Christ unless they know the truth? The truth is all over the world today. There will be no excuse for anyone to ever miss it. However, God has given us the power of the gospel. It demands that we go to people and tell them person to person. God could have done it in a lot of different ways. If God had wanted, he could have put rainbow letters in the sky, spelled out. John three sixteen. From one horizon to the other. And that would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? You wake up in the morning, you go out, and there it is. For God, so all the way across the sky in big, fluffy rainbow letter. Now that's a sky writer. Um, well, God didn't think that was awesome. If he had, he would have done it that way. But he didn't. He could have, couldn't he? It's no problem for God. Big old rainbow letter that could be seen from all the way across the world. It's not a problem for him. That would be easy to do. But he didn't think that was the way. He could have put gospel verses on every plant of every bush, every flower, every tree in the world. Would well, that be a problem for God? It's not too hard for Him. He could pull it off. That'd be pretty awesome. You walk out and you look in the flowers, and mm, John 3.16, there's Ephesians 2.8.9. Here's a Romans 4.5 flower. Every leaf in all the world. Could you imagine raking leaves in the fall time? Every leaf going into the fire, into the bag. A gospel verse. Now, that'd be easy to be saved. God didn't think that's the best way. It'd be pretty cool, but that's not the best way. God said the best way is to put that message into a bunch of people who used to be dead, and I'm going to make them alive. And they will appreciate the grace of God. They'll appreciate the fact that they've been raised from the dead, and they are now on display to the world. That's the way. That's the plan. Your mother is going to hell or heaven and it depends on one thing. Eternity will be settled for her based on one thing. Not how good she was, not how much she went to church, not how much money she gave, not if they ever named a building after her. Your mother will go to heaven or hell based on whether she put her faith into Jesus Christ alone or not. God has given you and I the power to change the fact she's heard that message your father will go to heaven or hell depending on whether he believed in Jesus Christ or not doesn't it make natural sense that if heaven and hell rests on whether their faith was in Christ that we would go to them and that we would represent that truth to them and that we would call them that listen that we would beg them if necessary to put their faith into Jesus Christ. No wonder that the message, the scripture, the life of Christ, even the creation is at question in our society. No wonder, because there's a devil loose. Make no mistake, hell is very real and people are going there. People that you know are going there right now. And God has given us everything we need in the gospel message to give them a convincing argument to put their faith into Christ. And so many times we forget the flames of hell and we comfort ourselves in our silence. But it makes no sense at all. Your grandparents are going to heaven or hell. Your best friend is going to heaven or hell. And wherever they land on the day of their physical death, that's where they will be for all eternity. I'm named for my grandfather. He gave me so many things. He's the one I get my Cherokee blood from. You trace my family line back, and before you ever get to people like Standing Doe and Five Killer, we don't know what he killed, but there were five of them. (laughs) You go through my grandfather. He taught me so much. He could fix anything in my world that was broken. A bicycle... My pa could work one over. Wow, I loved him. He's my hero. I thought my pa is the smartest man who's ever lived. I believed that. Then when I was old enough to understand, and I began to look into God's word, and I owned the gospel. He was in the hospital, and it occurred to me, pa is going to heaven or hell. He's so smart, so wise. I love him. He's given me so much. But I believe that even my grandfather knew that it wouldn't be long. He was in the hospital. He had some kind of gastric uh, issue in his body. And when I went in to see him that night, I was 19 years old, and he reached his feeble arms up. He reached up. He wanted a hug. He never hugged me in my life. Paul wasn't a hugger. I knew he loved me. There was never a question, not a second. But on that night, he wanted to hug. And I walked over and I hugged him. And he told me right in my ear, I love you, Freddie." Never said that. He didn't need to. But it made me know his clock is ticking and he knows it. And I went home that night and I just cried. I know how you feel when there's someone close who needs the gospel. I know how that is magnified, the fear of rejection. I understand that. But my pa, who I'm named for, is going to hell or heaven. Depending on whether his faith is in Christ or not, I've got to tell him. And that was my motivation. He made it home from the hospital and I was on his lawnmower and I was going around his yard. I, I cut his yard for him. And I said, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going to close this lawnmower down. I'm going through that door. And I rode right by that door again. I'm doing it this time. And I went right by the door again. My heart was going crazy inside. I was scared to death. But there's a responsibility here. There's an eternity that waits. And my grandfather's going to be one place or the other. And on the fourth time around, I shut the mower down, went through the door. And I told my grandfather the gospel of Christ. He totally accepted the facts of the gospel and my longing to tell him. He completely listened so intently. I didn't leave confident that his faith had rested in Christ, so I told him again later and made four big presentations to my grandfather. And he sent me the assurance of his salvation. I was in another state in Bible college by that time. And he sent me a message of the assurance that he had rested his faith into Christ. There is nothing that I've ever done in my life that means more to me than affecting eternity in that way. One final motivation, number five telling the gospel is God's command. Telling the gospel is not a leading that is necessary that God gives us. God never told us to pray for thunder, to watch for lightning, and that if we get an extra sign from Him, then we should go and... No. It's not a leading. It's not a feeling. I don't have to get a certain feeling. I don't have to work myself into some kind of spiritual excellence and then... I've earned the right to tell. No, no, it's for ordinaries. Telling the gospel is not a leading. It's not a feeling. Telling the gospel is God's command. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians five. I'm going to beat you there. <laughs> Are you having fun? Second Corinthians five. Now verse number. Nineteen. the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. He's not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Who owns the gospel? We do. The angels don't. The leaves don't. The skies don't. The heavens declare His glory, but they can't spell out the gospel. God gives that to us. And we own it because he's commanded us to be the ministers of the reconciliation. Good to see you, Minister Todd. Good morning. Good to see you, Minister. Hi, Minister. You're a little late, but that's good. I'm glad that you're here. Hi, Minister. Hello, Minister. Good to see you. Hi, Minister Kevin. Good to see you this morning. Hi, Minister. Good to see you. Hi, Minister. Oh, two ministers married together. (laughs) We're all ministers of the gospel. We've been called ministers. We own the word of reconciliation. Now tell me, do you feel motivated properly? You're worrying me. Do you feel properly motivated to go do something with a guy? Now I don't mean are you ready. But I mean are you motivated? Do you want to move? Or shall we spend the next session about motivation too? Because here's the problem in the church. it's motivation. And across America, we have a whole new theological grid that's come that's just packed, it's just full of heresy and wrong teaching and lies about God that tells us it doesn't matter anyway because God's already picked everyone who's going to save and He's going to force them to it. And you could be out there and you really want to be saved. You could be crying over wanting to be saved, but you can't have that because you haven't been picked. And so many people sit in their pews and say, well, God's in charge of everything anyway. Listen, if God is in charge of everything, why did He command us to witness? Why did He call us the ministers of the reconciliation if he's in charge of everything and he's already zapped certain people who maybe they don't even want to be saved, but zap goes God. Zap, zap, zap. Those three are in. The others can all go to hell. If that's God's attitude, why in the world does the Bible say that God so loved the world that He gave His only? That's not God's attitude. God has made a handoff. God has taken the treasure of the gospel and given it to us. God has entrusted us. Paul said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. No excuse. No strings. We've been commanded to witness. We've been commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Can I hear a big hearty amen to that? we need some tools, and that's fine. We need tools for everything we do, right? When they hired you, they probably put you through some kind of training. They have expectations. They have hope, and they made investments to show you how to do a job. Well, this is the most important job the world's ever seen, that we take the truth of the gospel and that we give it to people. So let's have some training. Let's talk about this. And so we will. I want to give you six lies of silence. You have it on your paper. Don't look at that paper, cheater. (laughs) I want to give this to you uh, up here. Really, I, I wanted to give you that paper so you can make notes on it if you'd like to, but I want to reveal it to you one at a time, and we'll talk about each one of these. The six lies of silence. Now, these are things that you hear spoken into your brain, all right? And they tell you, Don't witness. So what I just gave you are the motivations to witness. These are the demotivators that all of us who care about sharing the gospel from time to time, this is what gets spoken into your mind. You tell me. I'd I'd be interested to talk about it when we come to the break to see how real these are to you. So could we have that up? The six lies of silence. Number one... I just can't do that. Have you ever heard that voice? You think about witnessing. The person is there. You know they need the truth. You know you have the gospel, but uh, you just can't do that. My best friend said that to me. We were camping out. We were hiking camping at a place called Ravencliff Falls. It's in North Georgia. And on our way in, we got out of his Jeep. We began the hike. And we ran into a guy named Jim on the trail. We realized it, it was... Uh, almost dark, and we still hadn't set up our camp. So we left Jim. We had to rush, set up our camp. And around our fire that night, I said, Scott, I think we need to witness to Jim. We need to tell him the gospel. My buddy Scott looked across the fire at me, and he said, I don't think you can just do that. I said, yeah, you can too. I've been learning how. Scott and I, we were buddies from the time we were in uh, first grade. Scott was a great guy, earthy. And we made our plans in sixth grade. We were going to Canada or Alaska. Either would do. We were never going to marry because we didn't think girls could hack it. (laughs) And we were going to build a log cabin in Canada or Alaska and eat grizzly meat for the rest of our lives. We never made it because of the gospel. We woke up the next morning, ate our breakfast, prayed around the fire that God would lead us back to the man named Jim. I wanted to try it out, what I'd been learning. first guy we saw on that two and a quarter mile trail was Jim. I said, Jim, could I take just a few minutes right here and tell you what the Bible says about how you can go to heaven when you die? Jim was an intellectual. It was easy to say, no, he'll, he, he's an intellectual. Those kinds of people don't believe. I asked him. He said, sure. So I told him. I said, Jim, will you trust Jesus Christ to save you? He said, yeah, I understand that. Put his faith in the Christ on the side of that trail going up to Ravencliff Falls. Scott saw it with his own eyes. He couldn't believe it. But he was really happy about it. We ran up that mountain after that. We turned into a track team. We were running. We were screaming, yelling, and high-fiving one another up that mountain. Scott became a missionary in Haiti. He had no formal Bible training. He had no mission board. He went to Haiti for 12 years. It was there that he married. Today he's in Guyana. He's a missionary, excited and passionate about telling the gospel. And when he tells it, he tells it clearly, just like I taught him. You just can't do that? Well, who says you can't? There's only one voice in the whole world that would speak into our minds, you just can't do that. You can do it. Scott Brubaker can do it. If he can do it, anybody can. I can do that. God wants me to do that. I have a command to do that. I'm highly motivated to do that. The grace of God screams to me to do that. The resurrection principle says you've been raised to life to do that. Sure I can. So we just want to send that voice right back to hell where it came from. Amen? I don't have to keep telling you when it's appropriate to say amen. That's just good. I can do that. And by God's grace I will. (laughs) Number two. Let's see, I think I'm in charge of this now. Ooh. I might offend them. Have, have you ever had that one spoken into your mind? You're ready to witness, you're motivated to witness. Someone's going to heaven or hell, I have the truth for them. This is the best news in the whole world. I'm commanded to do it, and therefore I will. But the little voice speaks back. This wimpy, little, small voice says, well, you might offend them. Oh yeah, I might offend them, so I better not do that. How many? Almost everyone. I know that voice. Okay, so here's my friend, and I love you so much. I do. My love for you is abounding. I love you to the moon and back, said little chestnut brown hair to his mother. I love you so much. I love you so much that I don't want to offend you so you go to hell. That's the message. You might offend them. I'm so worried about that that he gets to go to hell so he won't be offended with me for a while. That's what we do if we believe that lie of silence. Listen, our... Our manner should never offend anyone. If our manner is offensive to people, we ought to apologize and change our manner. It's always right to graciously tell the gospel. Whether they're offended or not, that's completely up to them. The truth might offend. It's true. The truth might offend. Do you know how many people have ever gotten mad at me when I shared the gospel with them? I can't think of one person. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I can't think of one single person who's ever been offended because I share the gospel. This is a fear that almost never is realized. But listen, if we graciously tell someone the good news of the gospel, best news in the whole world, the only news that could ever save them, the only truth that could cause them to miss hell for every day of a long eternity. If they get offended at that, okay. But they had a shot. We were obedient. And we'll owe no apology at all in eternity. If our manner is offensive, we ought to apologize and change it. If the truth offends, we're in good company. They got offended with Jesus. But they'll not be mad at him in eternity when they find he died for them. And they won't be mad at us when eternity comes and they know we gave them a shot to go to heaven. I might offend them. Who are we kidding? Forget about offense. Leave that up to the person. Let's just graciously share the gospel and leave the outcome into their hands. Amen. Number three. They'll think I'm crazy. Let me give you a news flash. You are, <laughs> you are crazy. Your friend is Todd Domke. Just look at him. You are. You are crazy. The kids in this church had a nerf war in your church last night. I came around to the podium to put my Bible on the podium and a nerf dart fell out. It was on the podium of your church. Your sound man is sitting back there right now with no shoes. You are crazy Do you know Miss Janice? She's crazy. She's a firebug. She could burn your house down. She's crazy about fires. She's she's a lady but she's crazy about fires. I think if you built her a fire she'd probably pay you money. You understand what I'm saying? We're having fun, but we are crazy. Look at this. She fell in love with him. (laughs) That's crazy. This is crazy. He thought she would like him. So he asked, didn't he? It started with kind of, he sucked up a big suck of courage and asked. And he turned out to be right. (laughs) That's just crazy. You understand what I'm saying? Listen. If they're going to think we're crazy, let's let them think that we're crazy about the best thing there ever was to be crazy about. Number four. Number four they probably already heard before. Now that's a heavy assumption, right? That's a really heavy assumption. The result of that assumption means that we're satisfied right now with my mama, that she already heard before, but that's not enough, is it? It's not enough that she will one day stand in front of the Lord and say, why should I get to go to, because I already heard. What if she didn't? Am I satisfied to leave it at that? They probably already heard before. That's just a lie of silence. That's just a weenie way out of sharing the gospel that's the eternal difference maker. Let's say that they already did hear before. Okay, they already heard before. But what if they heard a messed up message? Or what if they heard a great message? What if they heard Scott Brubaker share the gospel? But they weren't ready at the time because they were really distracted with some, some issues of life and they need to hear again at this time. Well, we don't have the answers to any of these questions. So the best thing to do, if we think they maybe already heard before, let well, them hear it again. It's not going to hurt a bit. Amen? That's good. What if they already heard before and they heard a good message and they were ready for it and they trusted in Christ and they have everlasting life? Okay, cool. Now they know, hey, I'm out here, I'm witnessing because I care about people. That's good to find out. There's another believer out there who's with That's a great encouragement. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, after you trusted in Christ, Someone witnessed to you. Even if it were a gospel tract. Let me see. How many of you have been witness to? Now don't lie about it. Just be honest. I would say about a f- maybe a fourth, probably a fifth of the crowd has been witness to. Did Those of you who just raised your hand, did you get mad when you were witness to? Were you offended? Did you say, you idiot? I've already heard before! What kind of bozo are you anyway? We don't do that, do we? What did it do? It encouraged, right? It encouraged us. And the same thing will happen when we witness. A quick story. I was on ice skates. That doesn't happen much in the South. We have more measurable pollen than we do snow. But I'm on ice skates and not very good. And I'm on this rink at a place called Stone Mountain, Georgia. There was one kid out there worse than I was. <laughs> that, he was a danger. And he had a t-shirt on. It was one of those, you've seen it. Uh, picture of Jesus with a cross on his back, walking bloody, his pain, your gain. You've seen the shirt, right? Well, I saw it, liked it. And I wanted to tell him, but I couldn't catch him. But then I had, I had uh, crashed into the wall, the... Chest high wall, crashed into it, gathered myself as quickly as I could, and got behind that wall, propped up on it, and looked as cool as possible, as though if I ever decided to get out there, I'd be really good at it. And here he comes, slammed into the wall, grabbed on both arms and one leg, and I looked right at him, and with the coolest... suaviest look I could come up. I said, nice shirt. The boy looked at me, and I said, what's it mean? With the dumbest look I could gather. Witnessing is fun. Just look as dumb as possible. And he looked at me, and this is what he did. All six lies of silence were going through his brain. I'm sure of it. And this boy was charged up. He was fired up. He was scared to death. I thought he was going to hyperventilate and pass out, which would have not been good because I wouldn't have been able to get him up (laughs) on those skates. And then he started to witness to me. He didn't know who I was, didn't know my name. All he knows is here's a guy who's really cool and could skate really well if he ever got out there. And he likes my shirt, and now he's asking me what it means. That's all he knew about me. And he shared the gospel with me. When he was done, I just laughed in his face and told him what an idiot he was because I'm a preacher. Did I do that? He said, I was all over that kid. I even risked walking out on that ice with him. And I thanked him for sharing the gospel with me. And I told him, I'm a believer in Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. Actually, I'm an evangelist. And the kid goes. <laughs> and then I told him a thing, one thing, that he could do better in his presentation. Is it a bad thing if we witness someone he already heard before? No, that's a great thing. Now we got two brothers together. Or two sisters. Or some combination of the two. That's encouragement. That's good. So, that's just a lie of silence. How about that one? I witness by the way I live. <laughs> we can't live our own selves to heaven, can we? We needed God's grace. So how in the world... <laughs> Are we going to be able to live somebody else to heaven? That is just a cop-out. That's a lie. A few years ago, there was a guy named Dale Murphy played for the Atlanta Braves. He also played for your Philadelphia Phillies. He was denied a vote last week to go into the Hall of Fame. They missed it on Murphy. Two-time MVP. They said no to a bunch of steroid cheaters, and they also x out Murphy's name, and that is a shame. That's an opinion I just gave you, opinions like armpits, everyone has them, most of them stink, but I think Murphy ought to be in the Hall of Fame. But in Atlanta, when he came uh, after retiring, went to Atlanta, worked in the front office, they had Dale Murphy night, and they had a roast, one of those events where they, they charge you like... to get a plate of food, but the money goes to a good cause, and they have some entertainment, and it was Murphy, and they were going to roast him, all these sports writers and coaches. And these guys are all on the phone to one another, saying, hey, you got any dirt on Murph? They couldn't come up with a thing to roast him on. It was terrible. It was awful, because they didn't have anything to say that would even be funny, because that guy was so clean. Lenny Dykstra. You remember him? Lenny Dykstra. They called him Mr. Dirt. They put a baseball card out that year. What, you don't know your own team? Lenny Dykstra, Mr. Dirt, and Dale Murphy, Mr. Clean. One of the coolest baseball cards I ever saw. Mr. Clean. There's Nothing to hang on him. If anybody could ever live his way into heaven, that'd be Murphy. He's a Mormon. Unless he changes his mind, he's going to hell. Living cleanly is not a presentation of the gospel. They can't go because we live cleanly. A clean life says something about us, but it doesn't tell anyone the gospel. One of the t-shirts that I've seen, also a bumper sticker says, always share the gospel. Use words if necessary. You know what I think about that? That's terrible. The gospel is words. There's no other way to communicate the gospel than by using words. It cannot get communicated by living. What happened? I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, so if you don't have the gift of giving... You never, ever make an offering to the Lord. Would anyone get away with that? Nah. There is a gift of evangelism. And people who've been gifted by God in that way, when they share the gospel, it's just really enabled and it's powerful and there are good results. There is that person. But God has commanded all of us to share the gospel. It's the obedience of evangelism. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have someone on your team who is really gifted? Or would you rather have someone on your team who really does what the coach coaches to do? You want a super talented partner? Or do you want someone who always does what needs doing? I want to pick the obedient guy. I would rather have someone who obeys the command of evangelism than have someone who has the gift of evangelism, but they don't do it. So gifted or not, we all have a command to share the gospel with other people. Question or comment. Question about the motivation we have, the five motivations to tell the gospel, or a question about the demotivators, the lies of silence. Question or comment. Quickly, the cinnamon rolls await me. I don't know what that is. Oh, you have one back there? All right, now, come, come. Now, question or comment. Anyone? Is this stuff any good? Does it... Right on. For a long time, sort of a, a model um, of world missions has been that there is someone in a, in a, a tribal, probably a tribal company, and he's hoeing. He's hoeing. And the picture of of evangelism is that a missionary comes from America and he comes over, sees a man hoeing, picks up a hoe, and begins to hoe alongside him. And that's a very powerful picture. But hoeing in a garden is not going to get that man to heaven. We have to tell the gospel. It's not about how we live. We could be Mormons and live. But it's about telling the gospel. All right, here we go. We'll take about a... Uh-oh, we got a comment. Yes, Jeremy. you You do what you need to do, and we're going to talk about that next session. Do what you need to do. Do it graciously. Give the person a lifeline. If they will not accept it, you cannot reach them. Accept that fact. Someone is going to hell. But let's not let them go without ever offering them a lifeline. The ultimate outcome is up to that person. And and it's tough, Jeremy, because I know you have a burden for souls. You're my kind of kid. And we want to win everybody, don't we? But ultimately, it depends on this person's receiving the truth that we tell them. And we can't, there's not a button that we can push or a lever we can pull. We graciously do what we can do to fish for men, but it's up to them, ultimately. Lord, thank you for the truth. We pray that you motivate us highly to share the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll take about a seven-minute break and call you back.